Hey. Good morning. guys need to watch it. <laughs> Been fighting emotions all morning long. Can't hardly sit through a song. Um, thank you guys. Uh, thank you for being here. It was six weeks ago that I was uh, last up here. And I just can't even believe that. Six weeks ago. And um, we had announced that um, there had been two new tumors found in my daughter's brain and that we needed to, to go seek treatment. So we um, just almost six weeks ago, relocated my wife, my middle daughter and I to Houston where we've been for treatment. And uh, just to give you a quick update, it's going, it's going pretty well. Um, Kate is strong. Uh, she's strong and feisty and sassy like her mama. And that helps her a lot in these situations. So by the grace of God and through the prayers of God's people and through a lot of Tex-Mex, we're surviving in Texas. And um, it, yeah, we're, Lord willing, we'll be home Friday night um, and we'll figure out what's, what's the next course of action. So you guys keep us in your prayers as we decide what um, chemotherapy we're going to start first and just, yeah, lots of stuff going on. But it's so good to be back and I'm, I'm so glad to be here. There's, I'm obviously torn. I want to be in Houston with Kate and Holly, but I also got to spend some good time with Olivia and Will and I get to be with you guys this morning. So I'm glad to be here. And um, if you've not noticed, we're doing a series called Disciple here. And this whole series of Disciple is, is something that's so on my heart and I'm so passionate about. And, and basically, just to set it up real quick, it's, it's this idea that in America, Christianity has, has almost become known as this place where you pull up a chair as a consumer or as a casual Christian and say, I want to follow Christ from here. And I want to follow Christ and, and be comfortable and yeah, I want to follow Christ, but I don't want to give up my comfort to do that. I don't want to give up the rights to myself. I, I like it here. I want it to be safe. I want it to be easy. And, and what we've been studying is that there's a problem because there's a cross involved that Christ talks about. And Christ says, if you want to be my follower, if anybody wants to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. And there's been a tension that, that we've been talking about through that of the tension between you can't just stay in the chair and get to the cross. So we're going to continue that. Last week, Pastor Lynn dived into this idea of deny yourself. Today, I'm going to focus on take up your cross and what that means. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in uh, your Bible to Mark chapter 8. As you're turning there, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, three years ago, a friend and I from an old church, we went to India on this trip to, to work with this missions organization that uh, an old church that I served at had partnered with for many, many years. And so it was an unbelievable eye-opening experience because I had never been to Asia. And so I was able for the first time to, to experience um, just another aspect of our world that was so far from, from where I'm at in my comfort zone and all of that. 
And so we got to India and, and we were doing some different things, dedicating church buildings and preaching at some smaller churches. And one day came this life-changing event. The head of the missions organization that we were with said, okay, today we've got pastors coming from all these different areas of our country and, and we want you guys to, to train them and, and just teach them and encourage them. And so we went into this day and um, there's this one particular guy, we have a picture of him. They told me about this guy and they said, in, here in the light blue shirt, they said, there's a pastor that's coming from an area to the east of us. It's called Orissa. And maybe you've heard about Orissa in the, the news, and I had heard about Orissa because obviously when people hear you're going to India, they say, have you heard about Orissa? Um, in Orissa, there had been persecution that had broken out. And many Christians had been persecuted, beaten, all kinds of different things. Well, this pastor was one of them. Just weeks before, I don't know how long before, but weeks before this little conference thing, he was in a village preaching and he was kidnapped. And he was taken far, far, far away in the middle of nowhere. And he was beaten and he was defecated on and he was just abused and he was left in the middle of nowhere for dead. And so they tell me, hey, um, we want you to teach a lesson and to train these pastors. And I'm like, me? Train him? Do you understand what you just told me this guy has been through? I need to sit under him and say, teach me. Tell me what it means to be persecuted. And they're like, no, no, we want you to encourage him. We want you to teach and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It was one of those I'm not worthy kind of moments. And, but they said, no, this is what we want you to do. And encourage them and just, you know, teach them the Bible. And I did that, and, and shortly after my, my lesson, they said, okay, now we have what's next is we have some gifts that we want to present uh, this pastor and some other pastors. We want to give them a gift, and, and I was thinking, what kind of gift do you give a pastor who's just been persecuted, just been beaten, left for dead? What kind of gift do you give him? So let me show you. Here's what we gave him. We presented them some awesome motorcycles. I'm the white guy on the end just in case you were wondering. But, but here's the funny thing. You, you may not think this is a big deal, but we gave them motorcycles. I mean, the guy was just persecuted. The little dude there in the light blue shirt, he was beaten and he was left for dead. And, and it's like, how do we repay you? Here's your motorcycle. Get to the village that just beat you up faster and then go to another village. And, and, and you may not understand what's going on here, but before this, if, if these guys were lucky, they had a bicycle. And they would pedal from village to village to village. Or if they didn't have that, they would walk and hopefully there was a bus going in that direction. But now we gave this guy a motorcycle. And I was sitting there thinking, this is so weird. I mean, the guy was beaten within an inch of his life. What a price he paid. And now we're saying, get there faster. Go to more villages. Face more persecution. Guess what we're saying? Take up your cross. And he did not need to be convinced. We didn't need to have to say, hey, here's the... He's like... After all that I've suffered through, after all that I've been through, this guy was smiling and he was joyful and he said it was worth it and I would do it again and I will give my life for this God. And I thought, what's, what is a, what's the deal with this guy? And my faith was challenged and paled in comparison. I have one more picture I want to show you. This is maybe why this guy would do something like this. There's a little bumper sticker I found on a license plate. Uh, Jesus cares you. It's bad English, but it's good theology. 
that's really bad English. Don't put that bumper sticker on your car. But it is great theology to live by because what he understood was he was loved by God. This cross of God was a demonstration of the love of God. A demonstration of something worth giving his life for, worth laying down the rights to himself, worth getting out of that chair of casualness and comfort and consumer and saying there's a, there's a price involved, but it is worth it all the way. And he was willing to follow. Mark chapter 8 is an interesting story. We're going to start in verse 31, but let me just set up the context before this. Uh, just in the verses prior to Mark 31, Jesus is taking the disciples through various villages and he's, he's talking to them and he's teaching them and all this stuff happens. And, and all of a sudden on one day as they're going through a village, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, hey, I've got a question. It was like a pop quiz. You cue the Jeopardy music. The disciples are like, what's the question? And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? It's like an opinion poll. Disciples, who do do the people say that I am? And the disciples respond, you know, some people say you're like a John the Baptist kind of guy. You're like like a prophet, like an Elijah. There are different opinions. and, 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 And the disciples are letting him know. And Jesus just sort of silenced them. And he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? How, how do you look at me? How do you respond? And so this is sort of the moment of, of truth for the disciples to say, how are you going to respond? And Peter, who was never slow to speak up, said, Jesus, you are the Christ. Now, for us, that may not be that big of a deal, but in this context, this, this is sort of a turning point in the book of Mark because up until this point, everything had been leading to this recognition of Jesus doing mighty miracles and doing that kind of thing, but now it's not just a miracle worker, not just a good teacher, it's God, it's the Messiah come to deliver them. So when Peter makes this declaration, there's all these implications of who he is and what this means. And in this moment, I think it was one of those highlights in Peter's life where it was like, yes, I got it right for once. I knew the answer. And there's probably one of those moments where he's wanting to pat himself on the back and say, I I finally got it right. I figured it out. I know who Jesus is. And and there's one of those pinnacle moments in Peter's life as he recognized and identified Jesus. But then look with me in verse 31. It says, he, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, And be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is teaching the disciples and saying, there's some things going on and and there's a prophecy. This stuff has not happened yet. It's going to happen. And Jesus is prophesying to say, these things will happen to me. I will suffer. I will be rejected. I mean, those two things alone, we know the story. He was betrayed, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was spit on. They hurled insults at him. Thirdly, Jesus says, I will be killed. I will be killed. And then in three days, I will rise again. So Peter speaks up. Verse 32 we're told that Jesus spoke plainly about this. There are occasions in the scriptures where Jesus is talking in parables and it says the stories are veiling the the message that Jesus is saying. And sometimes Jesus used these parables to just throw these ideas out. But this time, Jesus isn't using a parable. This time, Mark, the writer of this, is very clear to say Jesus is speaking clearly, 
plainly. The message is not veiled. It's right there. This is what's going to happen. And Peter hears this. And Peter takes Jesus aside. And it says he began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him. He said, Jesus, come on over here for a minute. We need to talk. All the other disciples, you stay over here. Jesus, come over here. Let's talk. Because from a young age, as a little boy, Peter grew up hearing about the Jewish Messiah. This was the hopes and the dreams of the Jewish people. The Messiah would come and deliver them. The, the, the Messiah would come and bring victory and overcome. You see, the Jewish people lived in an occupied land. And there was a hope and an expectation of this Messiah as a conquering king, as a great leader, coming in power. And Peter had just declared, Jesus, you're that king, you're that victor, you're that leader, you're that Messiah. And then Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to suffer and be rejected and be killed. So Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, 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 take a seat. There's got to be an easier way. Jesus, Jesus, and he rebuked him. There's got to be another path, Jesus. It, it doesn't have to be suffering and rejection. Jesus, take a seat. There's got to be another way. Don't, don't look at a cross. Jesus, there's another way. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said to him, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter said, we want to be about God's will and we want to do God's ways, but, but we don't want the pain. We want comfort. We want victory. We want the easy path. We want it to our way. And Peter, in a sense, puts himself in the place of God saying, I know better. I've got a better way. I've got a plan B. It doesn't have to be that. Jesus, it can be this. And Jesus says, when you try to put yourself in the place of God, you're actually putting yourself in the place of Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus does something very interesting in verse 34. He calls to the crowd. He calls to all the crowd that's around. He's, he's had the disciples up close for this conversation, and the crowd's been off in a distance. But at this point, Jesus calls the crowd in. Hey, everybody come in. Everybody... And he brings them in and he begins to talk to them. And he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, Jesus is calling the crowd in for a couple of reasons, I think. Number one, he wants the crowd to, to hear him speak these words to the disciples. And as well as anybody who is in the crowd that is a follower of Christ or wants to be a follower of Christ, Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to require. It's not an easy path. It's not a path of comfort. It's not my way right now, whatever I want, whatever I think's best. He wants all of them to understand the requirements of being a disciple come with a price. But there's also a whole group in that crowd that don't believe in Christ yet. They're outsiders in a way, and they're listening to this teaching, and Jesus wants to be very clear to them to say, if you ever decide to follow me, understand it requires sacrifice. It requires denying yourself and taking up your cross and following me. But when Jesus said to the disciples, take up your cross, 
They, they didn't have enough information at that point to put everything together to connect the dots. Jesus had told them, I'm going to die for you. But he didn't say they're going, that he was going to die on a cross at this point. So when Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, I want you to take up your cross. What do you think they thought? How did they receive that? See, to them in that ancient Roman world, the cross was just a form of execution. But it wasn't the only form of execution. There could have been the head chopped off or whatever. There could have been other things. But, but the cross was a very deliberate way to execute, a very deliberate way to die. Because what it would do was prolong the agony. They would hang up on the cross, sometimes for days and days and days. And they would, they would agonize and they would just be in, in all of this pain. And, and they would show everybody, look at that example. Look at that person. If you do wrong, that's what awaits you. And they stood as a symbol in that day and age of suffering. Jesus plainly tells his disciples right now, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a cost involved. There's going to be a price to be paid. When we talk about this idea of taking up your cross, there's a few different avenues that I I think we need to, to just talk about. So I have three things. I think... I think Jesus is calling us to a new identity, a new approach to living, and a new mission for our life. So let's talk about this first of all, our new identity. When we hear the words, take up your cross, I think we have to define those in terms of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you look at scripture and you read what the Bible talks about over and over again, you you can't just take this verse and understand it without the broader context of scripture. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's also implying There's a relationship here to his cross. There's a new identity that is required. Because being a disciple is always something you are before it's something you do. So Jesus says, I want you to to think about my cross. I want you to think about this new identity. If you were to come to the cross and you were to look up at the cross and look at Jesus and what he's done, there would be a couple of realizations at least. Number one, it would be this. Something must have gone terribly wrong. This is worse than I thought. If Jesus had to die on a cross, if there was no other way, and and he couldn't stay in the chair of comfort, but but he said there's there's a cross that awaits, something must be tragically wrong. And we know that's true because the Bible tells us countless times things like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The Old Testament tells us things like even our righteousness, our good efforts are like filthy rags in God's sight. And our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? We can't even understand our own hearts because they're wicked. So when we look at the cross, we we realize something has gone horribly wrong. But listen to me, at the same time, we also recognize, we also understand, we must be deeply loved and deeply valued. If Christ was willing to do that for us, even though something went wickedly wrong, we are deeply, deeply loved. 
And so when we look at the cross, on the one hand, we see ourselves as a sinner, but we also understand that through Christ we can be saints, that we can be made right in his image because of who he is and what he has done. And so looking at the cross gives us this interesting paradox of at one point guilty and at the same time righteous. Because how do you determine the value of something? I think the best way to determine the value of something is to say, what is someone willing to pay for it? And so the scriptures tell us that we are so valuable, that our lives are so valuable. We're so deeply loved by God that he was willing to send his only son to die on a cross for our sins. He loves us that much. More than you can imagine And so taking up our cross, I believe it begins with this idea of a new identity, a new identity of understanding that absolutely I have sinned and I have have fallen short of the glory of God. But at the same time, God loves me. God has a plan for me. God loves and, and is just invested in my life. And so we have to understand that and receive that. And the new identity begins to shape us to say, If I am loved like that, if like the bumper sticker in India, Jesus cares you, if that is true, no price is too great. There's a new identity. There's there's a shift to say my primary identity, the primary way that I recognize myself is no longer I'm a brother I'm a son. I'm a fireman. I'm a teacher. But the new identity that comes through the cross is this. You are a Christ follower who teaches. You are a Christ follower who fights fires. So fight them to the best of your ability and give God the glory all the time. That's your primary identity. There's been a shift The way you see yourself is not just through what you do, but who you are in Christ. And this lens then begins to impact every decision you make, every choice that you make, because there's a new identity. And taking up your cross begins here. But it also is a new approach. Taking up your cross is a new approach to living every single day. I think there's, there's, there's two primary motivations that, that we fall into, two camps we fall into. The first is this. Some of us say, I'm going to try to live good. I'm going to try to take up my cross. I'm going to try to do that. And in doing that, hopefully God will then approve me. Hopefully if I just take it up enough or if I live good enough, I'll earn God's approval. It's impossible. And that's not what Jesus is asking The flip side is this. When we look into the cross and we see that we're deeply loved and cared for, and we say, because I'm deeply loved, because I'm so valuable to him, no price in return is too great. So out of honoring him and out of that love that I have for him, I will take up my cross and I will follow because he loves me so much and he sees me as so valuable. And and here's the reality. If in your life Jesus did nothing else but die on a cross, for your sins, how much would you owe him? I mean, we think, well, God, you know, if you'll help me out of this situation, God, if, if you'll come through me, then, then I'll live for you. Can I just say, he's, he's died on a cross on your behalf. 
He doesn't owe us anything else. If he never did another thing for us, a thousand lifetimes would never be enough to pay him back what we owe him out of his love. But there's a new approach here because this is what happens. We initially believe, and and it has to do with Jesus dying on a cross for our sins. But so many in the church stop there. You say, are you a follower of Christ? Yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I made a decision, you know, it was like 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm good. I made that decision. I prayed that prayer. But what about day by day by day, year after year? See, the new approach is this. We come to the cross to find this new identity, but we also come to the cross in that same way to approach every day that we live and realize no price is too great because of this value. Now, you may tell me, but there's a great cost involved. And I'm not so sure I want to pay that. Does anything significant in life really happen without you paying a price? Just by way of information, how many of you are married here? All right, quite a few of you. Okay, if you can remember back to when you were dating and you were silly, you were goofy in love. And I don't know if you were like me, but, but I did some things that were just absolutely embarrassing. I don't even like to talk about them. I spent money that I didn't have, not because I had to to earn Holly's love, but because I loved her and I just, wanted to, I just wanted to do it. I was silly. I was goofy in love. And I didn't count the cost and say, well, I don't really have the money to buy her those flowers. I just bought them. I paid for it later, but I just bought them. I was in seminary, and, and I was in love, and I just said, you know what? I think I'll take this semester off seminary. It's really not that important anyway. I just want to be with her more. I did goofy things, and I didn't say, wow, there's a great price involved with loving her. I just loved her, and I paid the price. I mean, some of you know what it's like to, to be in a job and somebody comes and says, hey, um, there's this new office open up in Boston and we need you to move there and take over. And people aren't like, what? There's a cost involved? You want me to do what? How could I do that to my family? We realize if there's some kind of significant opportunity, it may come with a great cost. Seven weeks ago, as we were trying to figure out the news of how to respond to what's going on with my daughter, and Houston was one of the options, I didn't say, are you kidding me? Move to Houston? Do you know how much that would cost? What about my other two kids? What will we do with them? I can't, I can't leave them for six, seven weeks. How are we going to afford that? That doesn't matter. You know what I did? I said, or we did, we love our Kate so much. No cost is too great. No price is too high. We will go wherever. We will do anything that it takes to help her. Why? Because we love her. And she's got us wrapped around her finger too. (laughs) We'll do anything. Jesus is saying, tell me you love me like that. Tell me you love me like that. Tell me you love me enough that when I say, I need you to do this, I need you to take your cross, I know it'll hurt, I know it'll be painful, but it'll be great and it'll be glorious. Tell me you love me that much. 
Tell me that when I come to you and I ask you to take up your cross, you won't say, well, wait a minute, Jesus. I mean, I thought we would just sit a while, Jesus. We would be safe and comfortable and enjoy. Things are going so well, Jesus. Jesus says, tell me when I, when I call you to sacrifice, I call you to follow me, that you're not going to throw up 15 different excuses and reasons why you should stay in mediocrity. Tell me you love me like that. Because there's a new approach day by day by day, falling more in love with him and following him step by step. Thirdly, there's a new mission in life. There's a new mission in life. Oftentimes we think we've got our purpose in life figured out. Maybe we're just going through the motions, but we think we know what success is. We think we know what we're aiming at. We think, man, I'm in this great job. If I could just get that next promotion, I'm putting all my attention on that. That's what matters to me. Or my family, keeping my family safe, not letting anything happen to them. That's, that's my goal. That's, that's it. Or just a little bit more money. If I could just get a little bit more money or if I could just look a little bit better. The next verse in Mark, Mark 8, 35 says this, for, whatever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus says, there's a cost involved. There's a price. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. I'm, I'm telling you, when I was talking to that pastor in India, through a translator, of course, there was no sob story. There was no feel sorry for me. There was no, oh, I got beat up and it was so bad. And they spit on me. It was him saying, this is what I did, but look at what my Jesus did. Yes, it, yes, it hurt, but it was my honor to suffer for my Lord. And so when we gave him a motorcycle to go into persecution even faster, you know what he said? Thank you. Now I can tell more people about Jesus. Now I can get out there and do what God has called me to do with more effectiveness. Thank you. If he were in America, you know what we'd have given him? Hey, here's a Smith & Wesson. Protect yourself. Hey, here's a nice house in a secure neighborhood with walls and guards and that kind of stuff. Be careful. That's dangerous out there. He said, no, 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 no. No cost is too great. No price is too high to serve my God that was willing to die on a cross for my sin. Nothing is too much for him to ask. I will take up my cross. I will take up my pain and, and, and I will follow him. I will take it up because I know and, and I understand it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. You see, there's a cost to be paid if you follow but you realize there's a cost to be paid if you don't follow too, right? There's a cost to be paid if you don't follow. What if my pastor friend in India would have said, uh, you know they beat me? Not going back to those people. We need to stay away from those people. 
yeah, I know they've never heard the gospel, but we need to stay away because they rejected us. It's, it's not safe. There's a cost to be paid by people that you are living around that are looking at you and they're, they're looking to your example to see, is that what a person who follows Christ does? And if you say, I'm not taking up my cross, it hurts too much, it's too painful. I'm just going to lay my cross down. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to try anymore. There's a cost to be paid. There's a cost to be paid for you personally if you say, no, no, no. I'm not going to go through this suffering. I'm going to avoid it. I'm not going to go through this price that's involved. I'm not going to take up my cross. Then you will not experience the divine, the divine activity of God's kingdom at work in your midst and in your life. You'll miss out on a blessing. You'll miss out on a purpose and a fulfillment and a joy that's greater than anything you can think up on your own. Because there's a cost to be paid if you say no. This weekend, I've been praying for, for a lot of you specifically. Not that I know your name specifically, but I know there's people going through things. And I've been praying for some of you who, you're just struggling. You're struggling emotionally. You're struggling spiritually. There's just battle after battle after battle. Some of you who are struggling with addictions, and you failed and you failed and you failed and you're just ready to give up. And I've been praying that today you would have courage, that you would have faith. Take up your cross and step again. Take up your cross. I know you're over here, but you're facing that way. I know you may be over here and you keep getting closer, but keep on looking to the cross. Keep on walking that way. Don't give up. I've been praying for some of you women and you're, you're in a relationship and, and some of it's a marriage. And you're with this man and, and you're praying for him to come to know Christ and you're praying that your home would be one of those godly places and, and, and it's just not happening. You're about ready to give in. And I've been praying that God would give you the faith to believe, the faith to trust him, to keep on praying, to keep on living that godly example, to take up your cross and walk step by step towards the cross. I've been praying for others of you. You're lonely. And in your loneliness, you turn to people that you should never turn to. And I'm praying that today you would take up that cross of loneliness, look to the cross, and go to him to find the fulfillment. Go to him to find that. There's all kinds of different struggles, all kinds of different situations, but I've just been praying that today would be a day that God would lead us on that next step to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I may be struggling, but I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to be real, and I'm going to be open before God, and I'm going to be bold enough to say, God, I am willing, if you lead me to take that step, I will take it. And I just wonder if there's anybody here like that today that say, God, I'm sick and tired of this chair of mediocrity. I'm sick and tired of seeing what I can come up with with my own life and what I can imagine, what I can dream. Today, I'm gonna take up my cross and I'm gonna take at least the first step, God. I may not get all the way down the road, but today I'm gonna take the first step. And God, I'm not gonna wait on me to feel like it. I'm just going to know it's the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. Take up your cross today. Don't wait. You're missing out on what God has for you. You're missing out on this love that God has for you where he knows you. Faults and all, but he still looks at you with love and he still looks at you with compassion and he says, you're my child. You're my treasure. 
you will not experience that if you stay in the chair. You will not experience that if you don't take up your cross. Jesus didn't promise it would be easy, but he promised it would always be worth it. We're gonna sing a song in just a minute called Lead Me to the Cross, and I just ask, would you make that a prayer right now? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we ask you to reveal to us your paths. Reveal to us that step, that cross that we need to take up. Reveal to us that your love is conquering and overcoming and delivering and God, there's nothing that can separate us from your love and I pray that we would look to the cross this morning and and find that new identity that we could then take up our crosses and follow you to go after you, God. That today would be one of those holy moments in this place where we don't play games, where we don't pretend anymore but where we say, God, in the midst of my pain, God, in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of the struggles that I have, that we would declare, I will not give up. And through the cross of Christ and the resurrection power of Jesus, I will step out and I will take up my cross and follow you. God, I pray that you would give men and women in this room the faith to trust you, to believe that you love them, that they are valuable the faith to trust you on Monday morning when they wake up, to follow you on Tuesday, to take up their cross on Wednesday, to redefine their life by a new mission that brings glory to you and honor to you and that they would find that, yes, it may come with a cost, but it is always worth it because you are more than worthy. God, have your way in this time. Lead us to the cross, we pray. In Jesus' name.